0: I want to point out, before going any further, how wonderful it is to be with people and the family members of people who have answered the call. It does not matter if that was a call to serve a local community or the call to be part of the nation's defense or a combination of both. You've all answered the call. When at a point in your life you heard your community, your nation call, in a way that is similar to that of God's call to Isaiah, who shall I send? Who will go for us? You replied, here am I. Send me. Now I speak from my experience as a soldier. The military members all around the world and this plays into this whole idea of being a veteran-focused chapel, military members all around the world seem to have more in common with each other than they do with civilians from their own country. I've been in Honduras, El Salvador, Germany, Italy, Spain, France, and I've interacted with all of those country soldiers. And in those same settings, there was also soldiers from other countries, Norway, Sweden, Dominican Republic, and others. In all of those situations, we were able to quickly build a strong rapport. The reason why is at the base of our service, each and every one of us had answered the call. We all decided to give up the comforts and safety of life at home and live Lives of sacrifice. It's a sacrifice for people who do not know us. A sacrifice that's largely ignored. A, sacri- a sacrifice that's not even acknowledged by the majority. And all of this reflects how we are made in the image of God. A God that's willing to self-sacrifice for the benefit of others, even when the others do not recognize the sacrifice And most of those who do, reject it. It's for this reason I will occasionally remark that in their actions, in that decision of answering the call, soldiers are often more Christ-like than the average person sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning. It's because they know what it means to leave everything they have behind to sacrifice for others. The next thing that's just innately known among those who serve is that nothing which has value comes easily, and sometimes the most precious things can only be had through sacrifice and battle. It is through this recognition that I have found particular value in the study of the lives of soldiers turned saints. The reason is because I can identify with them and I think you will also. These are men such as Saint Francis of Assisi, Saint Ignatius of Loyola and others. Now, quick comment on Saint Francis. There's very few people who realize that Saint Francis of Assisi long before he became the world's most popular garden gnome, was a real person. Not only was he a real person, he was a soldier. A soldier who went off to war, was captured in the process, and kept as a POW for a year. A soldier who came home and could not adjust to life in civilian society. And a soldier today, if you read what he did back in the city of Assisi when he finally did get home, his behaviors, he would clearly today be diagnosed with PTSD. He was a person who drank too much, a person who chased every skirt that he saw, and a person who finally decided that he needed to go back to war because he simply could not fit in where he was. The reason I like these military saints That I can understand their background. Now, today we're going to look at Ignatius. And he, like St. Francis of Assisi before him, was a soldier. And not only was Ignatius a soldier, he, through diligent study of the science of warfare, rose through the ranks and became an officer in the army of Spain. And Ignatius was so dedicated to the cause, he would fight when nobody else would. In 1521, the French, who at that time had a formidable army, unlike, you know, more recent events, the French invaded Spain and was moving to take the, at that time, walled city of Pamplona. Now, Pamplona was not ready to defend itself. The defenses were not fully in place. And the soldiers who were stationed there, who were supposed to defend the city, They were of almost no value as soldiers. They were poorly trained. They were poorly equipped. And they had no motivation. They didn't have any personal vision of the mission. They had no discipline as a result. The people of the city themselves were not willing to fight for their own homes. They were willing to just be rolled over and see what happened next. Now, the Spanish king realized that the defense of Pamplona was a losing effort and refused to send fresh soldiers into battle. But Ignatius, on the other hand, well, he took it upon himself to defend the city. Ignatius went to Pamplona and set himself up on the wall in order to defend the city even if nobody else would. His bravery stirred a few soldiers And actually, according to Ignatius' own account in his autobiography, just two other men were motivated to help defend the city. And so as predicted, it was a loss. The French took Pamplona. But in in the process of defending the city of Pamplona, Ignatius was hit by a cannonball which broke both of his legs. Now that is a wound that could easily be fatal today and most certainly should have been fatal then, but he miraculously lived through that double uh, breakage of legs. He had to lay in the hospital for a year waiting for the the, uh, bones to heal. What's the big one? The humerus. Femur. 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 Yeah, the femur. There you go. That's why he asked the question. We don't know for sure. Both both, uh, both femurs to, to be recovered and to go through what today would be referred to as physical therapy to be able to walk again. It took a year for this recovery to occur, for both of his legs to be mended. The thing is, when they were ready to cut him loose and say, you're done, your recovery is complete, Go and do what you're going to do." As he tried to walk, he realized that one leg was shorter than the other. And this is a common problem when bone has been struck and damaged, but Ignatius wouldn't tolerate it. You see, while he was recovering, Ignatius had been reading the gospel and the stories of the lives of the saints, including that of St Francis and his combat experience and how he had been converted. He determined that he was going to go on pilgrimage once he was capable of walking and find this God that he'd been reading about and see if he too could live the life of a saint, a soldier of God, a soldier for Christ. And when he saw that his legs were of uneven length, he knew that he would not be able to walk well enough to go on this pilgrimage. And as a result, he had the surgeon intentionally break the shorter leg and stretch it and then spent many more months in bed waiting for the bone to recover and to regain his strength and able to walk and at that point he departed on his pilgrimage and in the process Ignatius did indeed find the God he had read about in a dramatic story about his conversion he had been walking for days which led into weeks which led into months and all the while still wearing his soldier's tunic and carrying his sword, until finally at a small church in Montserrat, he was moved by the Holy Spirit. Ignatius spent days in prayer, and when he was done, he removed that soldier's tunic, he removed his sword, and he left them sitting there at the altar, and turned his attention to serving God with the same zeal as he had used in his soldiering in the army. And now here we are, Nearly 500 years after that date, as Ignatius of Loyola is known for one thing above all else. That's he wrote a guide for spiritual direction called now the Spiritual Exercises of Ignatius of Loyola. And one of the first things you notice when going through the Spiritual Exercises is that Ignatius did not abandon all he learned as a soldier. His experience shaped how he communicated and how he saw growth and the strengthening of your soul as a discipline. They don't call them exercises for nothing. These are difficult prayer experiences designed to stretch your soul. And so, as his experience on how discipline shapes the body, they shaped how he understood your responsibility before God. And all of this comes out particularly well in the exercise. I'm going to share a portion of with you briefly. First, Ignatius reflected on the call to service, and he had answered that call to his own country, just as he, uh, just as I explained, and then he answered the call of God. And so, in the exercises, he takes and he sets that up as a Dynamic one compared against the other. And he asked in the exercises for the person to consider that call of an earthly king. That call of an earthly king to his subjects. And Ignatius writes this, Look how this earthly king speaks to all his people, saying, It is my will to conquer all the land of our enemies. And therefore, whoever would like to come with me is to be content to eat as I and also to drink and dress and everything else as I. Likewise, he is to labor like me in the day and keep guard in the night so that afterwards he may have part with me in the victory as he has had in the labor. This call stirs the sense of patriotism, adventure, and righteousness in the pending battle. Ignatius finds this call of the earthly, the temporal king compelling and responds by writing this, Good subjects ought to answer to a king so liberal and kind and hence, if anyone did not accept the appeal of such a king, how deserving of being censured by all the world and held for being a mean-spirited knight. It's your responsibility to answer such a great call. Now, I joined the army when I was 17. I joined for patriotism, for adventure, and the belief that the United States was righteous in all of its actions around the world. In 1985, defeating communism, our arch enemy, regardless of where it was popping its head up around the world, that was tantamount to defeating the devil himself. Now, I don't know about you in the listening, but in the reading of the call of the temporal king, that motivated me. When I was doing the exercises myself a couple years ago, when I got to that particular exercise, I was really excited reading that section of the text. My response was, where do I sign for a chance to defeat our enemies, serving a king who will truly lead from the front like that. My response, like that prophet's response read at the front end of this message, here am I, send me. But if we stop for a moment and think about it, we all know that the recruiting poster is not reality. And the commercial is really not reality. But we, those of us in this room, we were still willing to answer the call. Not only were we willing to answer the call, we did answer the call. Knowing that we answered the call, we were willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. Knowing that we would do this for those who were entirely earthly and therefore flawed just as we are flawed that no matter how good the message sounds there's some underlying stuff that's not necessarily as good as the message we know that but we just accepted the call and allowed the underlying imperfection to go unquestioned now knowing that Ignatius presents the call once again but this time with a greater purpose. He writes, if we consider such a call of the temporal king, that king that we know is flawed, no matter how good he may be. If we consider the call of the temporal king to his subjects, how much more worthy of consideration is it to see Christ our Lord, King eternal, and before him all the entire world, which and each one in particular he calls and says, It is my will to win all the world, conquer all sin, to enter into glory. Therefore, whoever would like to come with me, to labor with me, and following me in pain, you may also follow me into the glory. In the writing of this, Ignatius clearly has the words of St. Peter in mind. The saying is sure, if we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Ignatius goes on to say that all those who have judgment and reason will offer their entire selves to this labor to the heavenly king. In other words, if we are willing to say to our communities, if we are willing to say to our country, if we are willing to say to those with temporary and imperfect authority, here am I, send me. Shouldn't we all the more say, here am I, send me to the perfect and eternal King, God Himself. Ignatius is so convinced that, yes, we must follow God, we must follow Jesus, that he even gives us an oath, or in this case, a prayer of enlistment. Eternal Lord of all things, I make my obligation with you, with your favor and help, in presence of your infinite goodness, in the presence of your glorious Mother, and of all the saints of the heavenly court that I want and desire, and it is my deliberate determination, if only it be your greater service and praise, to imitate you in bearing all injuries and all abuse and all poverty of spirit and actual poverty too, if your most holy majesty wants to choose and receive me to such a life and state. Amen. In other words, here am I, send me. But when he does so, Ignatius recognizes, and you hear it in those words of the prayer of enlistment, that this means we're marching off to war. He wants for us to understand that there are two standards to choose from. And the use of the term standard is intentional. Standard, a military flag, and to raise the standard means to take up arms. And of course, there's the definition that we are more familiar with in common usage, A standard simply meaning principles or norms or a set of behavior. In the exercises, Ignatius explains that there is a war brewing and on one side and on the other side, there is a commander holding a standard. The first is Christ, the other is Satan. The standard of Christ is the cross. Jesus, much in keeping with the motto of the infantry, follow me, says, pick up your cross, and follow me. Take the cross. Take the standard, which is both the flag and the arms by which our standards, our principle, our norms, our behaviors, our beliefs are measured and defended. Take up that cross and follow me. And in preparing this message, I was reminded of a book I read many years ago. The title is Spirit Warriors. It's by a man named Stu Weber who is a special forces officer in Vietnam. I recommend it to you. In the opening chapter, Stu compares his combat experience as a Green Beret in Vietnam to the daily attack Satan launches against our spiritual, emotional, and even physical lives. And when you know how badly Satan wants to destroy you, how he is at war with your soul, you begin to understand that the Christian life must bear the standard, must bear the cross. You understand that we will all carry a cross. You know what does that mean for us today? What does it mean when the celebration of this holiday weekend are through and we go back to our various homes and jobs? What do we do then? What do we do when the cross is heavy? Well, I suggest we focus our attention on the last three words in that passage and follow me. We're not to call we are not called to pick up our crosses and wander. We are not called to pick up our crosses and set our own path. We are not called to pick up our crosses and explore at random. We are not called to pick up our crosses and enter the wilderness alone. What are we called to do? And follow me. Jesus really is the king who leads from the front. We're called to pick up our crosses and follow Jesus. Jesus has blazed the trail that we are to follow. Jesus has denied Himself all the glory of heaven so that He could lead the way. Jesus has suffered on our behalf so that He knows our suffering and that we can endure just as He endured for us. Jesus has done this so that He can say with all earnestness and all honesty, Follow Me. Follow Me. You will not go anywhere that I have not already been for you. Follow Me. Jesus does not call us to do the impossible. We can each follow Him. The question is, will we? Will we follow Him? Will we turn away from the things of the world that could trap us? Will we pick up our crosses, the standard of Christ to uphold? Will we follow Him? And again, Jesus says, follow me. How will you answer? Amen.